I think sometimes it's okay not to get in God's way. I, I sense him moving right now to hearts that feel overwhelmed. For whom the waters seem to be just coming over your head. And he wants to assure you that he is bigger than anything that's come against you and that he will lift you up. And the peace that wants to flood your heart right now, you can trust that. That's his assurance. If, if you're identifying with that this morning, Lord, we just ask you to make good your word, to calm the storm, to calm your child's heart while they endure it. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient always in every circumstance. Even in this circumstance, you will prevail. So, Lord, we just receive that peace right now. May your spirit reassure. May it bring confidence and strength this morning that is your gift to us, your children who know where to put our hope. We place it in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your goodness to us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This summer, we've been drawing circles around those things that we feel led of God to draw prayer circles around in our lives, to invite Him to write His story very particularly into our stories. That's his delight. He wants to do that. And so we've been seeking his guidance in our own lives for where are those places in my own life and in my own circumstances, God, that, that you want to intervene, that I can become more a partner with you, that your grace can set things right and your power can prevail. Where are those places in my life around which you want me to draw a prayer circle? Is it around a relationship or is it around a, uh, someone that we love that we don't know is coming? It's someone who's struggling physically. Uh, is it fi financial burdens that we have? What are those areas that you want us to draw circles around? And we've looked in the story this last spring at all those Bible characters in the Old Testament and how God delighted to write his story into their story. But those are Bible people. You'd expect those kind of stories there. What about us? What about now? What about today? Well, the good news is God still writes his story into our stories. This is the story of a young lady named Mariah Peters. You may recognize her from American Idol. The judges were Simon, Randy, Kara, and Avril I walked through the doors and was side stage about to stand on that floor where you sing your song. Sorry, I didn't do my hair today. I kept singing and got to the big part and I, and they stopped me and I said, okay. And, um, I discovered my love of music when it had the biggest impact on me. And I think that was in, in sixth grade. I went to, to a camp with my church and, and
and the music. It was just a guy on a guitar, but he played really well and beautifully. And it was a worship song. And I had my first like music plus God, really powerful moment. I was like, wow, like this is this is powerful. And so that was when music really impacted me. And then God kind of took me on a bit of a journey where I was able to use music to impact other people. And it started with just leading worship at my church. And then it got more serious when I sung at church for an Easter service. And after the service was over, this man came up to me and he was like, oh, he looked like he just got out of a gang. He was walking towards me, I got a little nervous. <laughs> and he started crying and, and he just said, that song that you sang, like the spirit moved my heart when you sang that song. And I was like, okay, God, this is, this is something special. This is something powerful and I want to be a part of it. One day, I came downstairs, the application and the map and everything out on the kitchen table. The American Idol auditions are at this time, at this place, on this day, we're going. I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> I get excited. <laughs> There's a few months between the first audition, when you see like the huge arena full of people, and that moment on the screen when you see the contestants in front of the celebrity panel. That whole process was covered in prayer um, by my family, by family friends, and I really believe that it was that prayer that gave me the strength to be as bold as I was during that whole process. I was very open about my faith, very um, just excited to share that. I'm saving my first kiss until the day I get married, just things like that. And in the end, when I made it through those few months of auditions and I, and I got to the celebrity panel, those were the things that they criticized. They complimented my voice, complimented my look, and then started saying things like, so we see on, on your bio here that You've never kissed anybody. They said, we see here that you teach a girl's Bible study and tell us about that. I'm like, yeah, I, I teach a girl's Bible study on my public school campus and it's amazing, I love it. And then the comments came. You You're know, trying to be too perfect. I think you need to go out into the world and make some mistakes and get some life experience and come back. You need to go out and kiss somebody and that, that'll make you feel sexier and then come back. After hearing that, I was just like, all right, God, your will be done. And I walked out of the room. That's when Ryan Seacrest had the camera on me. How did they say no and all this stuff? And, and part of me wanted to say, well, what the heck? Was fighting the tears. And then this small part of me ultimately said, God has opened up the doors up until this point, but now he's closed them. And I'm not going to question any of this because I know that he has a greater plan. And by God's strength, I was able to say that in my mind and in my heart. I was just like, God, 
Why did you take me through these months of auditioning when I could have been studying for finals and enjoying prom? Um, but there was a reason, there was a purpose, and I found out exactly what that purpose was the moment I exited the building. And a man came chasing after me and said, hey, I heard what you said on camera about God and, and I'm a believer and I heard you singing through the doors and I really want you to meet somebody. Really from the time that, that I had stepped out of the auditioning room to going down an elevator to exiting a building was the amount of time that it took for God to open the next door and, and do a complete miracle. Since then, uh, I have signed with a label, I signed with the manager, and I'm engaged to Joel. <laughs> it's 100 years old from the 1920s. I don't know what a carrot means, but apparently it's a big carrot too. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I am saving the first kiss until the wedding day. Ugh, so much more difficult than I thought it was gonna be. But I think that I should carry through and follow through what God showed me. I'm just glad that I found a man who would not only accept the standards that I've had, but want to create new ones with me. My fiance has been so supportive and so wonderful in, in knowing this is what God has called us to do. So I just say, my name's Mariah Peters and I'm second. That's it? That's it? Okay. My name is Mariah Peters, and I am second. That's great. We'd like to um, give you a chance just to process that a little bit before we go on. Uh, give you a chance to talk about it for a moment. So if you come with somebody today that you can talk to, or if you can find a quick friend around you that you'd like to talk to, we'd, we'd like to consider this question. What stands out to you about the way Mariah made God's story hers? And her story, what stands out to you? That might be uh, a way of relating to it personally. Well, what did you hear in that story that might inspire God's place in your own? Uh, many different answers for that story. No right or wrong answers for, you, for your answer, you know, there. And uh, if you're uncomfortable coming to a church where people talk to one another, we, we get that. You, you might not have signed up for that when you came through the door. So we're not going to push this on you right now. So if everybody around you uh, looks especially mean, uh, all, all you need to do is the next few minutes is, is this is the universal I'm not ready to talk yet sign, okay? We honor that here in this place. We're not going to force this on anybody. Uh, but if you overhear a conversation you want to become a part of, know that there's just an open door for that for a little bit. And this is what we're going to be talking about, our own answers to what stands out to you about the way Mariah made God's story hers. 
What were the critical moments in that? Where do you think leveraged that? Uh, that may be a good lesson for us, too. Think about it this morning. Let's talk about it amongst ourselves for about three or four minutes, and then we'll get on with uh, the rest of our message this morning, okay? That's the question. Have fun. What's coming up? What did you notice in her story that struck you especially? Anybody in a sentence? Can you lift up something that stood out to you? Something that stood out about how God got into her story. Anything? Her strength? Her standards didn't change. Didn't she gracefully not, you know, she's, she's not an in-your-face kind of person, but man, what, what personal strength and self-control she demonstrated. Uh, just amazing. Yeah, anything else stand out to you? Her unwavering faith. Her unwavering faith. Yeah. Yeah, what, excellent. What, what else stood out to you about her? Yes. She was true to her morals. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of those things that stood out to me was prayer. Did you notice she said that that whole audition process, she, her family, and her friends were covering that with prayer. I think that maybe put her in a special place to realize that if this has been soaked in prayer, even though things are not going as I expected, can you imagine the crushing disappointment? You're just getting to your big note in your song, and someone goes, eh-eh. Let's shut this down, you know. Uh, the disappointment, I, I mean, it, I'm not a performer, but I can feel that, can't you? Just the punch to the gut of, of that. And yet, and yet she doesn't respond with anger. Uh, she's human. She feels all that on the inside. What the heck, right? Uh, but her response is, I'm not going to question this because I know God has a better, better plan for me. I'm talking about an anchor within the veil. How is that possible? How can you make sense of that in that moment? But God hardly, not only was that the conclusion of her prayer time, it was the beginning of the watershed of God's answer. Had she not responded that way, would that person who overheard the con- conversation have even approached her as the right person to get together with this manager that was going to take her in a different direction? She's now, she's now a Christian singer. I don't know if any of you have heard any of her songs. I saw uh, one, one of her breakout hits is uh, Brave or Be Brave or He Makes Me Brave. I can't remember what it is, but how, how fitting for her. She's singing songs that are consistent with her heart. Uh, God's story breaking into our story. I, I think one of the things that Mariah's story shows us is that God's story breaking into our story is opposed. It's not something that just happens. It's something that things resist, right? Did did you notice the resistance in her story? The resistance of the judges, right? She, She talked about the resistance of her own flesh, you know? Even though God had called her to do some things, she acknowledged how tough it was sometimes to get her heart in line with what God was calling her to do. It's opposed. This story of God's that God wants to write into our story is a story. Yeah, there it is. There's the kiss. How about that? Looks like that was worth the wait, doesn't it? Uh, It's a story, nevertheless, that's often opposed. 
And, and Paul tells us that we fight not against what? Flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There, there, there are spiritual realities at war that are playing out in the circumstances and our lives around us. And you could bet that your adversary, who hates God and hates those of us who bring God delight and joy, uh, he is working in the plans to throw a wrench in the works. And whenever we can cooperate with him, he's all the happier, right? So our, ours is a story opposed. So if we have an opponent, my question today is, we've been talking a lot about prayer, but is there a means to an edge in prayer? Uh, now, now, some, especially in sports, have found their edge in less than legal ways, right? Do you hear the stories this last week about A-Rod and his supplier down in Miami? Am I the only one that watches ESPN? Uh, and, and the steroid use that apparently continues to go on, though it's masked and cleverly disguised and all this kind of stuff. And if you're a baseball fan, I'm sure this, this, this breaks your heart today. But in interviewing the guy that was the supplier, the guy that's now gone state's evidence against the players, and, and somehow uh, the, the, his explanation for why he was doing what he was doing to baseball and to those players simply this. It's always been a part of the game. good always been a part of the game and and, and perhaps he's right you know when you've got an opponent you you look for an edge you look for a way to prevail well is there a way that prayer can go on steroids no that's a that's a scandalous way to even ask the question but but is is there a way that prayer can become more powerful where, where you can find an edge not an illegitimate edge but a legitimate, biblically modeled edge for intensifying the power and the prevailing uh, leverage of the prayers that you pray. Is there a way to draw circles around things in your prayer life, but to double circle it? Uh, We we talked about persisting in prayer. That's one way. But in in the scriptures this morning, you're going to hear Jesus himself lift up Another way to intensify, to empower uh, our prayer lives. And our readers are coming this morning to uh, read us this scripture. And it's from Matthew uh, chapter 17. Uh, I believe it's 14 uh, through 21. Jesus himself mentions how prayer can become more powerful. Listen for it. See what he says. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. 
For truly, I say to you, if you have faith, we have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will see, say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go with does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Did you hear it? This kind, apparently, this was, a, this was a home run that was required, not a triple. Uh, th- this demon meant business, and he would not let go of this boy who his father had lovingly brought to the disciples. Jesus was away on the Mount of Transfiguration, no less. And he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, finds his disciples frustrated that they've been praying for this man and his son, who is possessed of a demon, considered a lunatic, throws himself into the fire. He's hurting himself. Help my son is the plea of this father's heart. And they've been able, nothing's been effective. And, And so Jesus tells them the why. Why had their efforts not been affected? Because they were unbelieving. They were of little faith, right? And then he says, and, and this is his prescription, and kinds such as these do not come out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus himself gives a nod to uh, the efficacy of adding fasting Uh, to our prayer life. Very interesting thing. Now, if you notice in most of your scriptures, it'll also say that that verse is not there in some of the earliest manuscripts. And some have taken that to say that that means that Jesus didn't say it, that somebody else added it later. Well, Jesus himself advocates fasting when he says to his disciples in Matthew 6, and when you fast, don't mess up your hair and make yourself look bad so that you'll be seen by men as fasting. And everybody go, ooh, aren't they spiritual? You know, he, he says, don't do it to be seen by God. If this is true and properly practiced, it's something from the heart before God and your Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. You don't do this to show yourself to others as more spiritual than someone else. You don't do it for God in order to earn God's favor or in order to twist God's arm. It's a way of submitting yourself to God's plan wholly and completely and therefore putting so much more of the weight in God's hand that God has the freedom to to act in ways that before fasting uh, it was not that well prepared. It's kind of hard to wrap words around this and not get theologically incorrect this morning. But, but, But that's what's going on. By prayer and fasting. Now, if if Jesus didn't say it himself, apparently it was as much a part of the early church that somewhere very early on in their translating of the scriptures and their relaying the scriptures to more and more communities of faith, somebody did put it in there. Someone did think it was consistent with the teaching of Christ and efficacious enough for the people who were reading it that to omit it was a greater crime than putting it in. Fasting, prayer and fasting. Could that be a steroid for our prayer? I think it is. You know, when, when, when those players take steroids, they do it in order to make themselves stronger, to make themselves faster, to give themselves a mental focus that gives them an edge. At least that's, that's what I've heard. 
is, is about steroid use. It builds up strength. It, it makes one faster. And, and it focuses you on a task uh, like hitting a baseball uh, with so much greater intensity that folks like A-Rod see it as a, as a means, apparently, so accused, uh, to stretch out of the set club of baseball home run hitters and be a solo performer in the 800 home run uh, range. A way to strengthen uh, their proficiency. Fasting does much the same thing. Fasting apparently our faith. Jesus is saying there you could not cast it out because you are of such little faith. Apparently fasting affects that. If little faith is the problem there that makes those prayers impotent, then fasting becomes a way of of strengthening our faith. And certainly fasting is. As I said, in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. He says to his disciples, when you fast, do it not uh, not to be seen by men, but to be seen by God. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's very few rules, very few regulations about how we're to fast biblically. But it seems to me, in in a practical and functional way, a way to reprioritize our desires, to make that organic, to do something deep within our own hearts. When we're hungry, there's nothing quite so persistent as our desire for food. Can anybody identify with that standing in front of the fridge going, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Can you, you know, know what that compulsion feels like? When you're hungry, sometimes it's hard to think about, about anything else. And when we put, when we willfully place a desire, our desire for God, our desire to communicate with God, our desire to share with God, when we place that, When, when we place that above, uh, above that physical desire, it has a way of reprioritizing, of underlining, of elevating our desire for spiritual things. It's not that fasting in some ways is some uh, magic pill that makes things uh, that God's impressed with. Uh, do a fast wherever your heart is, God comes through. That's not the point. The point is fasting puts our heart in a position to be more aligned with God, to be more earnest in our desire, more earnest in our prayers. And God responds to that, not because he has to, but because he loves to. Jesus himself was one who fasted. In the time that he needed God's strength perhaps the most, when he would be tempted by Satan himself face to face in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. Jesus had that example from people like Moses and Elijah, from those in the past who had fasted when they needed to press in and to hear from God, when they were asking God to prevail in a very specific way. Nehemiah fasted. He risked his own life in hearing what shape the walls of Jerusalem were in as a cupbearer to the king in Persia. His desire to be a part of God's plan to heal that hurt elevate itself so much that he was willing to go into the king with a downcast face, which was reason for having your head taken from you. You never give the king reason for a bad mood, you know, back in those days. He was risking his own life to show his despair for his people. 
And he asked God through prayer and fasting to give him favor with the king, which God does. The king of Persia is the one who pays for the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. God came through in incredible fashion. He did for Jesus there in the wilderness. He did for Nehemiah. He did for Esther. You remember what Esther did when she learned that there was a decree that went out from, that, from, a, from a Persian king to kill all the Jews throughout the kingdom, a vast kingdom at that time. They were to be annihilated. Genocide was the law of the day, and the day was coming. And again, risking her own life, her level of, of desire to give herself to God's plan, to be God's person for just such a time as this, perhaps I was born. She goes in before her king at that time, risking her own life. Her greatest desire was to be a part of this plan of God's. It had risen above every other desire, and, and God comes through yet again. He saves not only Esther, he saves her people. We've talked about that story in here this last spring, an incredible story of God's breakthrough and of his rescue. I, I think sometimes... When we fast, uh, we can fast in the hope of faster breakthroughs. That when we add fasting to our prayers, that it intensifies it in such a way that things that are really beyond our ability to comprehend, to map, and to manipulate are happening, nevertheless, in the spiritual realm. Do you remember when Daniel... Daniel was earnestly desiring a, a, an interpretation for a dream... And uh, much was at stake. And it says in Daniel chapter uh, 9, verse 3, that he began prayer with fasting. Daniel was one who fasted often. In fact, his whole rise in God's plan started with a fast. He would not eat the king's food, though he had been chosen as one of the foreigners to be uh, brought up as a butler within the house of the king. He was so extraordinary. Nevertheless, he decided not to defile himself with the king's food. He, he went on a fast. He had the same kind of morals, and he stood for them, just as we saw in Mariah's case a moment ago. And, and, and when we stand for God in those ways, God stands for us. He honors those who honor him. He honored Daniel. Daniel's in another situation where he needs God to desperately come through. And when he does, he fasts. Not from food totally. That, that, that's what a fast is. It's not eating for spiritual purposes. Uh, abstaining from food. And Daniel's fast here is like his other fast. It wasn't a fast from all food, no food whatsoever, but it was a fast from preferred foods. Meats and, and wines and, and things that he would have preferred. Do you hear that reprioritizing of desire dynamic kicking in because of that? Uh, that, that's what's going on with Daniel as he fasts from these preferred foods. And he does it for 21 days. He's praying for God's breakthrough. And finally it comes. Finally, an angel appears to him in uh, chapter uh, 10. I believe it's verse 12. And it talks about this act of, uh, of fasting being a humbling of himself before the Lord. And this angel who was dispatched with the answer to... Uh, uh, Daniel's prayer, when he shows up, uh, he shows up almost in thanks to Daniel, giving us a window into the spiritual realm that we don't have. He, he says, from the moment you started praying, 21 days earlier, from the moment you started praying, God dispatched me with the answer. But for 21 days, I was delayed 
embattled by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He's talking about some of those spiritual principalities and powers that that Paul later talks of. We fight not against flesh and blood, flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. He, he he warred for 21 days with this prince of the kingdom of Persia, whatever that dark figure must be. He, he warred with him, delayed 21 days, entangled. As Daniel continued to pray and fast, apparently uh, the, the struggle continued until the 21st day. Daniel fasted for 21 days. And in the crescendo of that time of prayer, God sends Michael. Michael's not just another angel. Mike is an archangel. In the spiritual world, one of the biggest, baddest dudes around. Michael comes to free this angel for the task to which he's been dispersed. He says, Michael came and, and freed me, and so now I'm here to give you the answer to your question. Uh, but the prince of, uh, of the kingdom of Persia was standing against me for 21 days, and then Michael came to help. And because of prayer and fasting, breakthrough. Breakthrough. What if he had stopped praying on day 20? Who knows? What if his prayer had not been not only prayer, but prayer and fasting? Who knows? Jesus testified, and the witness of Scripture testifies, that fasting can be an enhancement to the power of our prayers. When David, King David, was told that his son was was going to die, It doesn't say this in the scripture, but, but I would say that was probably Davis most, David's most earnest prayer. Uh, Jonathan, my son, didn't remember this, but when, when he was just a baby, uh, bruises started appearing over his body and uh, scared us as parents. We, did, we didn't know what that meant. And it was purple, propecia, whatever the doctor called it. All I knew as a, as a dad was... Uh, that it had come against my son. And uh, you, you know what it's like to pray with your toenails? With, with every cell within you? I, I, know, I know what that's like when, when a son is in jeopardy, when, when a child of yours is at stake. I, I can imagine this as being one of David's most earnest prayers, though he prayed often and he prayed regularly and he prayed in battle and he prayed when his life was on the line again and again. Do you realize that at the time that he was praying for his son, he joined with his prayer, fasting. That, that was King David's example. It was John Wesley's example. John Wesley, early on in his ministry, Fasted every Thursday evening through Friday evening. And, and not only did he, uh, did he fast, but he encouraged all of his preachers to fast from Thursday evening to Friday evening of, of every week. I, I, I've got some old books on my shelf in my office. One is an 1888 Methodist Book of Discipline. That's kind of the, the bylaws for the preachers. And in it, it encourages those preachers to fast. 
In it, it says, why is our ministry sometimes so lacking in power? And it points to their laziness about prayer and fasting. John Wesley encouraged his ministers uh, to pray. Just this last week, uh, I was emailed a letter. And it was written by a a Catholic uh, bishop here in our area, Reverend Edward Slattery, Slattery, the Bishop of Tulsa. And in it, he's calling all Catholics to a special time of prayer. According to the letter, uh, a black mass, a satanic mass, is now scheduled for September 21 in the Civic Center of Oklahoma City. And despite uh, the Catholic Church's uh, appealing to the officials who are in charge of such scheduling, uh, it's going on um, at this point. It's still scheduled to happen, September 21. And and, and so this bishop sends this letter out to, to all fellow Catholics within the Diocese of Tulsa to fight this blasphemy through prayer and fasting. It's not just something of biblical times when our backs are against the wall, when we're trusting God for an incredible breakthrough. Christians through the centuries have not only prayed, but they've humbled themselves and they've added with their prayer time fasting when this when the church in Acts um, the church at Antioch were pressing into God to know what was next for them do you know where the church of Antioch was Jerusalem was kind of the hub of where everything got started and spread from there Judea Samaria and the outermost parts well at this time Antioch would have been one of those supposed outermost parts it would have been about as far as Christianity had had Grown at that point, it was one of the outposts of the faith, was Antioch. And Antioch goes to prayer saying, God, what is it that you're calling us to do? We, we might imagine in those moments, they're praying and they're fasting. And that's when God said, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas? Do, do, do you realize if it weren't for prayer and fasting that most of the Western world would probably not be Christian? What if those missionary journeys had never happened? God directed those. God empowered those. God told his people specifically, focused it, made it clear what his will was so that we could act in in, in conjunction and in cooperation with his will. And, And that happened because of prayer and fasting. He said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. And immediately after that, the church went to praying and fasting again. (laughs) I don't know if it's because they thought, Paul and Barnabas, God, are you sure? You know? But they really wanted to know. They really wanted to step with God and step with him in power. And you know, that's exactly what happened. They set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work that he had called them to do. Maybe Paul and Barnabas were seeking God more specifically for that work that he had called them to do. But through that prayer and fasting, they came to lay hands on Paul and Barnabas. And the church spread throughout the Mediterranean because of it. Fasting can be a way of focusing our hearts, focusing our zeal, bringing us clarity. 
Again and again in the scriptures, the kings of old would fast and pray before battle, asking God, God, is this a battle that you've called us into? Knowing that if they went ahead without God's strength, it would not be pretty. Time and time again, that had proven to be wisdom. And time and time again, when God's people fasted and prayed, God answered. He brought insight. One of the best sermons I think that's ever been preached on fasting was actually preached by John Wesley, uh, the founder of Methodism. And he says stuff that's so good. Could you stand to hear a word from the founder of this movement this morning? I mean, the founder in the sense that he was who God used. God's the one who does this. This is God's church. First, Let fasting be done to the Lord with our eyes firmly fixed on him. Let our intention be this and this alone, to glorify our Father in heaven, to express our sorrow and shame for our many transgressions of his holy law, to wait for an increase of purifying grace, focusing our attention on things above, to add seriousness and earnestness to our prayers, to avert the wrath of God, and to obtain the great and precious promises which he has made to us in Christ Jesus. Let us beware of mocking God, of turning our fast as well as our prayers into an abomination to the Lord. By the mixture of any worldly view, particularly by seeking the praise of men. Jesus himself is taught against this. Secondly, If we do desire this reward, let us beware of thinking we will merit anything from God by our fasting. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that fasting doesn't earn an answer from God. It's just a way of more earnestly asking. We cannot be warned too often of trying to establish our own righteousness, trying to procure salvation or any other need by our works and not by grace, for this is so deeply rooted into our human hearts. Fasting is a way which God has ordained for us to receive his unmerited mercy. God is not obligated to give us anything, but he has promised to freely give us his blessing. Now, we are not to imagine that the performance of any mere outward act of fasting will receive any blessing from God. No, we must remember that in our fastings that the body may sometimes be denied too much. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, missed a sentence. Such a performance may possibly humble the body But as to the soul, it profits nothing. If this isn't an expression of the heart, not just some kind of outward act. Now we must remember that in our fastings that the body may sometimes be denied too much so to become unfit for what God has called us to do. We must diligently guard against this for we ought to preserve our health as a gift of God. Therefore, care is to be taken whenever we fast to proportion the fast to our strength. We may not destroy our bodies to help our souls. Thirdly, let us be careful to humble our souls, to humble our souls as well as our bodies. Let every time uh, we fast be a time of exercising all those holy attitudes which are implied in a broken and a contrite heart. He mentions repentance, sincerity, integrity, indignation for our own sin, fear of our own deceitful hearts, Desire to be in all things conformed to the holy and acceptable will of God. Zeal. Fourthly, 
Let us always join fervent prayer with, past, uh, with fasting, pouring out our souls before God, confessing our sins, humbling ourselves under his mighty hand, laying open before him all of our needs, all of our guiltiness, all of our helplessness. Lastly, one thing needs to be mentioned with regard to fasting. In order for our fasting to be acceptable to the Lord, we need to add prayers and gifts to the poor, works of mercy within our power, both to the bodies and the souls of men. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Isaiah tells us, is this the sacrifice that I have ordained? Just basically his point is, do uh, you think not eating is really going to accomplish anything? But if you are, the fast that I desire is not some outward expression only, but something that is an outward expression of an inward posture, humbling yourself before the Lord. And if that's the inward posture, then that inward posture ought to work itself out in other observable expressions. If, if, if you really want to love God and love your neighbor, then fasting ought to help you love God and love your neighbor. For too often, we've separated spiritual acts from practical outcomes. Such a division is never in the scripture, certainly never in the teaching of Christ. In fact, he's always putting those things together. A true fast changes our heart, and a changed heart acts differently. Humbling our heart. It's not just about leveraging our will in heaven, hardly at all. It's about conforming to his will. And fasting so as to increase our desire and our earnestness to say yes to whatever it is that God wills. So it's an act of humility. Conrad Hilton was just a no-named businessman in 1931. He owned one or two hotels, but little more than that. And, and 1931 is the era of the Great Depression. It's no time for big dreams. But Conrad Hilton had a mom who he himself says in his own autobiography thought that the answer to everything was prayer. He learned that from her, how to circle things in his life with prayer. And in 1931, he clipped an article out, out of a newspaper about the Waldorf Astoria, the queen of all the hotels, the biggest, the best, the standard of the utmost in his day. And he was far from ever owning the, Wal the Waldorf at that time, but he cut out a picture of it from the paper and slid it under the glass of his desktop. So it would be there every day as he sat down at his desk to be reminded of it, to circle it one more day in prayer. For 20 years, uh, Conrad Hilton worked as if it depended on him and prayed as if it depended on God. His fortune started to amass and started to be blessed and started to expand. But for 20 years, the Waldorf was out of his reach. And for those 20 years, as he would faithfully pray, as he sat down at his desk every day, he would often walk to work right past the Waldorf. And as he did, people noted that he would often tip his hat. 
And until the day that the Waldorf was his, he never explained the action. But as he would walk past that hotel that he had circled in prayer, it was an act of humble submission. Of, of God, if that's your will, it's mine too. Lord, this is beyond me, but it's not beyond you. It was an act of, of submission of his own heart to recognize the only one powerful enough to give such a gift. And almost 20 years later, he had amassed enough of a fortune that he bought 250,000 shares nearly enough in, in the Astoria uh, line. And from that moment on, he owned the Waldorf. God had enabled him to do the impossible. There it was, still under the glass. He now owned it, that, that picture of the Waldorf Astoria. And above it, he had written, the queen of them all. But in Hilton's autobiography, he said the greatest privilege of his life was not that he acquired the queen. The greatest privilege of his life was kneeling before his king. That's what fasting does. It bows our head that much lower. It expresses our heart that much more earnestly that we bow to the Lord of the universe to be our provider, to be our intervener, to be our deliverer, to be the one who fulfills the promises that we've circled in our lives with prayer. That's what Hilton did. That's what Daniel did. That's what Moses did. That's what Elijah did. That's what we can do. And, and the heart attitude of fasting is that same attitude that is ours whenever we bow before Jesus and say, you're my king. You know, we, we started this morning, God was speaking to us about being overwhelmed. You know, I, I can't imagine the emotions, I can't imagine them actually, because I sometimes have them, that come with forgetting that God is the Lord of the universe and thinking that that job description falls to us. That we have to be in control that we have to make all things work out. Some of, this, this, some of us this morning in our prayer lives are being called to, to humble ourselves and to trust more in God than we ever have through prayer and fasting. Some of us this morning may, may realize, I've been sitting in the wrong chair for too long. God, I need you to be God of my life. You're the only one strong enough to be entrusted with it. And this morning, I trust it to you. Is it time in your prayer life to evermore tip your hat to God? Is it time in your own life this morning to realize only He 
can really be the Lord of life and the Lord of your life. There's great relief when you make such a choice and you'll find that you are never more powerful. May I prophesy this morning that history will proclaim that you were never more powerful than when you were on your knees. I invite you to that place this morning. If kneeling on the outside helps you kneel on the inside, these altars are available. If kneeling on the outside helps you kneel on the inside, you can turn and just kneel against your seat in these moments. And let me close this with prayer. Your greatest privilege, as with Conrad Hilton's, will be kneeling before your king. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Let's pray. If you want to stand and kneel in your seat, that's fine. If you want to come forward to the altars, that's fine. If this morning you choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and this is your moment of submitting to him as your Savior and as your Lord, Please share that with me or someone else this morning. We'd love to pray for you before you go. But I want to free all of us to move to do whatever the Lord's laying on your heart right now to do. Let's pray together. Lord God, this morning we give you praise and glory as the only one who's really do it. You've loved us enough to lay down your life for us. And if you, Heavenly Father, would have commissioned such a thing, can we not trust you to give us all things? Your heart and delight is to grant the kingdom to your children. We pray for its inbreaking in our lives. As we set our anchor within the veil, God, we pray as we're pulled towards you and towards your promises in Jesus Christ that those would invade our lives. We draw circles in our lives for, for their landings, for their appearings, for their manifestations. Oh God, we wait upon you. Speak to our hearts. Yes, the Lord says, there's more. Yes, the Lord says, I'm calling you to myself. Yes, humble yourself. And you make that way that much more passable. The Spirit of God says, I've come for you. for your sweet spirit that's been with us all this morning. Touch us now. Crystallize your message in our hearts that having bowed before you, we might be shaped by you.
Jesus' holy name, we pray. And with the expectations that can only be those of the children of God, we sing our prayer and our praise to you. In Jesus' name.